Hi everybody, Pete Sardis for The Lawyer You Know, and today I'm gonna answer your questions about what happens to Elizabeth Holmes for sentencing and for her potential prison state. But before we do that, as always, if you like the video, please click like. If you're enjoying the series, please subscribe. And as always, please leave me questions and comments below, especially if you have a topic that you're interested in. If enough people give me the same topic, we'll make sure that we follow that for you. So let's talk about some of the questions you guys have asked me over the last couple of weeks. Christopher Cripps sends me a question and it says, first, does Holmes have much to lose when testifying against Balwani about the counts for which she was acquitted? Double jeopardy would preclude reprosecution, but could she be open to perjury charges? Great question. Yes, she is, this point is subject to double jeopardy, which means she cannot be charged twice for the same crime but she is still subject to perjury. And between you and me, I believe she's got a lot to lose if she were to testify for Sonny Balwani. Remember, Sonny Balwani as a co-defendant does not have the right to provide Elizabeth Holmes with immunity. Only the prosecutor can give immunity to Elizabeth Holmes for her testimony. So if she were to testify and that testimony would be considered untruthful, for example, or if the prosecution believed they could prove that it was untruthful, they could charge her with perjury. Totally different crime. Um, this testimony, because it is in fact on the record, could also have an effect on her, her sentencing because if she testifies, the court could use that as relevant conduct and score her either higher or potentially lower uh, at sentencing. Uh, the third issue is she has a an appeal that's going to happen. We all know she's going to appeal. And that means she may come back at some point and have another new trial on her charges of acquittal. If she were to testify on behalf of Sonny Balwani, that under oath testimony could be used against her in any subsequent proceeding. So my guess is she's not gonna testify. My guess is she's just gonna sit back and do nothing. I don't think the prosecution is going to call her since at this point, I don't think they really need to give her immunity to testify. But great question nonetheless. Part two of the question is, were there any unindicted unnamed co-conspirators in the conspiracy counts? If not, since it takes two to tango to make a conspiracy, it sure would look odd if Balwani was acquitted on conspiracy counts on which Holmes was convicted. Also a great question. Here's the deal about conspiracy. Conspiracy in federal court requires that two or more individuals make a plan in order to, com to commit a crime. Um, one of those individuals has to take some steps to further the ultimate goal of the conspiracy. In federal courts, generally, you can have inconsistent verdicts uh, amongst co-conspirators. So if two people are charged with conspiracy, one can be charged and convicted, the other one can be charged and acquitted. It's okay to have those inconsistent verdicts, especially when you've got two separate trials. So that's not gonna be a problem, because again, two different juries listening to two different sets of, uh, of evidence can come to two different conclusions. In regards to unindicted co-conspirators, I, I haven't seen anybody in the complaint actually named as an unindicted co-conspirator. And what that means is an individual who is involved in the criminal enterprise that has not been charged criminally. Obviously, were there other individuals involved in helping Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani you know, further the Theranos conspiracy? Yes, of course. But the question is, were they involved with any criminal intent? I think the, the answer is no. I think the question really is, 
Is there anybody else that could potentially be criminally liable? As as we sit here today, I don't think that there is anybody. It certainly hasn't been named in either one of their indictments because that's where those unindicted co-conspirators would be named. All right, next question from Lee Albert. Should we expect the transcript from the Holmes trial to be available to the public at some point? A trial transcript in federal court is considered a public record. You could go and order a copy of that transcript right now. What I presume has happened, because this is exactly what I would do, is Sonny Balwani's lawyers, as the days of trial were concluding, were ordering from the court reporter the transcripts. That way they could have a contemporaneous copy of whatever it is that happened in court, especially since they did not have guaranteed seating preference in the gallery. So if you really want to see the Holmes uh, transcripts, you absolutely can. You can contact the court reporter. That court reporter's name is listed on the docket for every entry where a trial or a hearing takes place. It will list the name of the court reporter. You can call that court reporter and pay for a copy of the transcript. Next, Wavy Dave. If sentenced, how long will Elizabeth Holmes have before she is required to report to federal prison? And why would there be a gap between sentencing and the actual incarceration? All right. This kind of touches on our last video, and the reality is this. The Bureau of Prisons will provide guidance to Elizabeth Holmes if the court determines that she's allowed to self-surrender. If the court does not allow her to self-surrender, the court can absolutely have the U.S. Marshal take her into custody right then and there at the conclusion of sentencing. She will then be held and you know, transported to the Bureau of Prisons. It normally takes a few weeks to a month, give or take, to be transported if you're taken into custody. Now, if she's not taken into custody and she's allowed to self-surrender, normally the marshals will convey instructions from the Bureau of Prisons within a few weeks of sentencing, and you normally have, give or take, 30 days to actually present to, to uh, your federal prison facility. Can it be longer? Absolutely. The court can request from the Bureau of Prisons an extension of time for somebody to appear or you know, it just can take its course, but normally two weeks at a minimum to get your uh, marching orders, to get your actual uh, designation about where you're going to go. And then normally a couple more weeks until you actually have to present. So you should anticipate if she's not taken into custody right then and there at the end of sentencing, she's probably not going to report to prison for about a month or so after sentencing. Uh, Donna Marie King, why is Elizabeth Holmes not being sentenced until September? Good question. Because this case has been so big, it's been obviously weeks and weeks of trial testimony. It has been a contentious battle between the defense and the prosecution. And because there are a number of post-verdict motions that have been filed, I think Judge Davila made a determination that the parties really needed to have some time to effectively argue whatever their post-trial motions are going to be. Motion for a new trial, motion for judgment of acquittal, things like that. And also, he gave the prosecutor, the defense, and the probation department sufficient time to be able to prepare a pre-sentence report for sentencing. So, did he have to wait all the way to September? No, I don't think so. But I believe between the fact that Elizabeth Holmes has a young baby, the fact that it's a complicated case, the fact that he recognizes there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between the rendering of the verdict and the time when she's going to be sentenced, I think the judges realized, let's give everybody the time they need. And that way you don't have, um, you don't have to just keep adding continuances onto a sentencing. So September is really a little bit longer than what we would normally see, but I understand why Judge Davila did it in this case. D. 
DMR, why would someone self-surrender rather than go straight to prison? The biggest reason to self-surrender is the fact that you receive credit for three points in your classification. So if you go to prison and you self-surrender, you actually get credit for that. And that credit will help you in your prison designation. It will help you in your classification over the course of time. So it's always better to self-surrender if you can do it. Realizing some people just want to go to jail and start the sentence because your sentence doesn't start until you physically show up. But in a case like this, where obviously Elizabeth Holmes is going to be spending some considerable time in, uh, in the custody of the Bureau of Prisons, and there's a chance that she very well may be in different classified prisons. And again, we did a video a couple back on how the classification process works and what my thoughts are on where she could potentially go. She's going to want to self-surrender. Has Griffith's question is, if you were Holmes' attorney, what would you be basing your appeal on? All right. If I were Holmes' attorney, the biggest issue I would have is with the fact that the Ninth Circuit came out with two very important decisions during the time that Elizabeth Holmes was actually in the midst of her trial. Uh, the two cases are United States v. Yates and United States v. Hines, both of which came out on October 8th of 2021. If you go to the Ninth Circuit um, website in, um, and take a look at the docket, you can actually find those two decisions and read them for yourselves. The reason this is important is Elizabeth Holmes was tried in the federal district in California. The Ninth Circuit is the appellate court for that federal district. So what happens is these opinions become binding or their opinions become something that the courts have to consider. And the reason these two cases are important is because these two cases involve bankers that actually lied to investors and lied to people. But the appellate court decided that their convictions uh, could not stand because, this is interesting, the lies that they told did not have a material effect on the investors or on the bottom line of the company. Therefore, I call it the no harm, no foul decision. I think you're going to get some argument about those cases to the appellate court since obviously they've just rendered these opinions. I think there's going to be a, a lot of discussion about them. The question is going to be whether these very, very astute, multi-millionaire, billionaire in some circumstances, investors were anyhow, anyway affected by Elizabeth Holmes' words. Uh, the truth of the matter is, this is going to be issue number one. In addition, I believe that we're going to have some sentencing appeal issues. For example, I think that the fact that Elizabeth Holmes' sentencing guideline is goes beyond the limits of the sentencing guideline score sheet itself, that's kind of a big deal. So the court is going to have to make some balancing decisions about how much time he's going to give her. I will tell you if the court maxes her out, my guess is appeal issue number two is this sentence is too uh, restrictive based on the, the facts of the case. And really, but for the dollar amount of loss, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, other than that, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of secondary appellate issues regarding decisions that were made, and they're going to be cumulative, meaning the cumulative effect of the court making all of these series of decisions somehow precluded Elizabeth Holmes from having a fair trial. So that's kind of where I think this is going. But issue number one is going to be those uh, that Yates and Hines case. Okay, Colonel Laura, can you talk about what happens when you are, for example, intimidated or abused in prison? If other prisoners pick on you, what can you do? Don't fool yourselves. Intimidation, 
abuse, all kinds of abuse happen in prisons. There's no doubt about that. My perception from you know doing this for 20 years and having contact with clients that have been in the Bureau of Prisons indicates that when you get to a level of a low or minimum security, a lot of those inmates are nonviolent. They're white collar offenders or educated. For the most part, they're all there because of some fraud case. The abuse or the possibility of being abused reduces significantly. But the Bureau of Prisons has an entire internal prison, um, let's just say legal system. And if you feel that you're being abused or you're being subject to harassment or something of that nature, you have the right to make a complaint. And of course, the prison will evaluate it. Now, recognize that in higher classifications, like in maximum and high high security facilities, where there's a lot of drug dealers, gangsters, people like that, let's just say people in a socioeconomic demographic where violence is the result, a lot of people don't actually report these things and they kind of use self-help. In other words, you'll see people beating on each other, you'll see stabbings and shooting. Well, they won't see shootings. You'll see stabbings, you'll see uh, you know, beat downs, things like that. But again, when you get into this area of lower classification, like minimum and low facilities, most of those people, number one, they're not prone to violence. And number two, even if they are, they recognize that if they screw it up in prison, they're gonna lose their privileges in being in that lower classification. And that is just not something normally people are willing to risk. But yes, there is an entire system in the uh, Bureau of Prisons for, for airing out those grievances. And the Bureau of Prisons does take it very seriously. And they do attempt as best as they can to avoid the possibility of intimidation or any sort of abuse in the prison system. Commercial modeling for everyone, Fido2 asks, possible she gets home sentenced because of the baby? No. The Bureau of Prisons does have a system for expectant mothers and new mothers. There is a system in place where they are given an opportunity to bond with those children outside of the actual walls of the prison itself. At this point, Elizabeth Holmes, unless she's currently pregnant when she goes to the Bureau of Prisons, is probably not going to get any type of home detention. She does score prison. I expect the court is going to sentence her to prison. I expect that she's going to be allowed to self-surrender and she's going to be going to prison sometime in October, potentially, or November of 2022. All right, next, Matthew Basketball. Do you think Sonny will or should take the stand like Elizabeth did? What would you advise him if he were your client? All right, the decision on whether or not to testify rests on the shoulders of the individual defendant. If you decide not to testify, the court will instruct the jury that your silence cannot be held against you, and it is the obligation of the prosecution to prove a crime beyond a reasonable doubt. If you do decide to take the stand, you are subject to the exact same rules as any other witness. So if it were me, I would prepare Sonny Balwani to testify. I would make sure he has his facts straight. I would make sure we had a, a tempo in the conversation of attorney versus witness. I would be sure that he was prepared at any moment to get up on the stand and tell his story. A lot of lawyers will tell you that the jury almost wants to see a defendant defend themselves, get up there and actually say, hey, let me tell you what happened. But the reality is sometimes a defendant can't because if whatever they say, you know, you waive your Fifth Amendment privilege when you take the stand. So if the answers, the honest answers are not good for the defendant, sometimes it's best to just keep your mouth shut and let the prosecution prove their case and attempt to punch holes in the prosecution's case in chief. 
So if it were me, I would prepare him to testify. The decision of whether or not he does testify would be made you know, after all of the government's evidence was introduced and they rested. Then and only then are you in a position to say, this is what they said, how can your testimony make it better or make it worse? And that's the way you decide whether a defendant should or should not testify. At least that's how I do it. Last but not least, Blaze Bohr. Hey Pete, as time marches forward and Elizabeth Holmes' sentence gets closer and closer, how does the judge know that she won't run to Germany or Switzerland when there is no extradition treaty with the US? The age old question of what the balancing between the right to bond and the obligation of the judge to ensure the presence of the defendant. All right, let me back up and talk about extradition for a second. The United States and most countries in the world, including all European countries, do have an extradition treaty. What, uh, what Blaze, what you're referring to is there are certain countries, Germany is a perfect example, who will not extradite their own citizens to a different country for prosecution. But if Elizabeth Holmes or any other defendant were to leave the country, uh, abscond, and they were found in Germany, the United States would ask for Interpol's assistance to have the German authorities transfer that prisoner back to the United States. Now, I'll tell you, I've been in extradition proceedings, international extradition proceedings before. The big issue is whether or not whatever the person is charged with is a crime in that country. For example, if conspiracy is not a crime in Germany, then Germany most likely will not extradite someone to stand trial in the United States for conspiracy because they don't consider it a crime. Uh, on the same uh, vein, if a crime in a different country has a substantially different possible punishment, again, that country may refuse to extradite. I'll give you the best example, the death penalty. In many European countries, the death penalty does not exist. Therefore, they will not extradite someone to face the death penalty in the United States. But for the most part, in a case like this, chances are in a financial crime, they would assist, meaning Germany or that country would assist Interpol and uh, the US authorities and have that person brought back. How does the judge know that she's gonna show up? Well, the truth is the judge is a human being too, he doesn't. But in federal court, we have something called a signature bond process. Meaning, unless the court determines that a person is a risk of flight or a risk of violence or at risk of committing another crime, the chances are you're going to get a bond. And in federal court, you don't actually post the bond, meaning like in state courts, you show up, put the money into the court's registry, and then the person's released. In federal court, the vast majority of bonds are signature bonds. And what does that mean? It means someone signs that they're accepting responsibility for your release, and in the event that you don't show up for a hearing or a trial or for sentencing, then they forfeit an, an amount of money that the court has determined is a reasonable bond. So in this case, I'm guessing Elizabeth Holmes' family has signed for her bond. So if she absconded, meaning she left uh, and, and tried to flee, they would forfeit that bond, meaning the government would go take whatever monies uh, or property that the family has posted for that bond. At the same time, you've now committed another crime. You've committed the crime of absconding. Uh, so at which point you'd be potentially subject to another prosecution. Other than that, I mean, what keeps her from actually showing up to court? The fear, frankly, of retribution from the government, uh, the fear of losing classification, the fear of an additional charge, that's really what keeps her here. And Elizabeth Holmes is very high profile, you know, and I think there's not very many places in the world that she could potentially hide. 
So those places would most likely cooperate with U.S. authorities to have her returned to U.S. custody. So that's it, guys. Those are the questions I have at this point. If you have further questions, please you know, just let me know in the, uh, in the comments below. Well, I'm trying to answer as many of these questions as I can. That being said, if you have any questions or if these questions have spurred additional questions, leave those in the comment section below and let me see if I can answer those for you. Again, I think many of you recognize we do answer questions uh, to individuals on the feed, but I felt that these questions were uh, big enough that I, it was worth doing an episode on. So with that, if you enjoyed the episode, thumbs up. If you've enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And as always, questions, comments below, especially tell me what other cases out there you're interested in and we'll make sure we follow them. Until next time, thank you and we'll see you soon. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.